Oh, good evening, everyone. Uh, thank you to Glenn and to the various people who've taken part tonight, to Nathaniel and to Deborah. And uh, as Roy said, and as Glenn has said, it is so good to see so many uh, students from different countries here tonight. So, so thank you for coming. And I also want to say a huge thank you to all those who have been involved with the I Welcome program this week. Uh, there's a whole team of volunteers, as John has said, from places like Queen's CU, who have been welcoming students to Belfast uh, over this past week and kind of shown very tangible love and compassion to, to a huge number of people. So if you've been involved in that I Welcome program, then on behalf of, of a number of the local churches, I want to say thank you. If you, if you have a Bible, or if you would like to grab one of the Red Pew Bibles uh, and turn to Luke chapter 10, uh, it's page 1042 in those Red Pew Bibles, page 1042. Each, each Sunday night uh, during our service here at Windsor, we, we spend some time reflecting on God's Word. And for the past nine months, we have been reading our way through Luke's gospel. And one of the main reasons for doing that is because we have wanted to listen again to the kind of radical and and life-changing teaching of Jesus Christ. And the reason for doing that is in order to discover, well, what does it actually mean to follow Jesus in the 21st century? What does it mean to find life in all its fullness that Jesus claimed to come to bring. What does that actually mean? And so we have been listening again to some of the words of Jesus. And as a church, we have actually reached Luke chapter 16. And so next Sunday night, we're going to look at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, which comes at the end of Luke chapter 16. But during this past nine months, we actually skipped a chapter. Nobody noticed it. But anyway, we actually skipped a chapter and we missed out one of the best known short stories that Jesus ever told. The parable of the good Samaritan. And one of the reasons that we skipped it was because we'd actually looked at it about two and a half, three years ago. But as I was thinking about tonight, I thought it might be good to go back and pick it up again. Now, during his lifetime, Jesus told something like 40 of these parables. Seemingly simple, very relevant absorbing stories that captured people's attention and communicated important information and truths. These stories tended to pack a really powerful punch or two or three and there was very often a sting in the tail, an an unexpected twist at the end of the story. And so, for example, one person writing about parables says this, parables usually begin rather tritely depicting our everyday world in an everyday way. But then, in most cases, there's something surreal that disrupts our world and hints at a wider, more mysterious world as well as a more astonishing God. And the parable of the Good Samaritan is one of those kind of stories. 
It's probably the second best known parable Jesus ever told after the prodigal son. Now, before we read the actual parable, and more importantly discover why Jesus told it, let me suggest that even if you don't normally go to church, or if you don't normally read the Bible, well then that phrase, Good Samaritan, will mean something to you. It'll communicate something. Most of us, when we hear the term Good Samaritan, know what it's referring to. Here's a a bunch of headlines that include the phrase Good Samaritan. And whenever you see a headline with that term in it, you know immediately that what it means is someone has shown compassion to someone else. Someone has stopped to help a person in need. Someone has gone out of their way to express kindness rather than simply walk past another human being. But although most people have a decent idea what this term Good Samaritan means and might even have a vague notion of the original Good Samaritan story that Jesus told, it's really important to remember and remind ourselves, well, why did Jesus tell it? What prompted this parable? Why did Jesus feel the need to share it? And so before we we kind of look at the content, I just want to think for a moment about the context. If you look at verse 25, it'll be on the screen here. This is what you read. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what have I got to do in order to live life to the full? What have I got to do in order to live life forever? In order to get this eternal life that you keep talking about, what have I got to do? Here is someone who's, who's looking for answers. But instead of getting answers, he gets more questions. That's often the way it works in life. And it's often the way Jesus worked. Whenever he was asked a question, instead of giving a straight answer, Jesus often asked more questions. And he did here. And so he responded to this expert in the law with a couple of questions. What is written in the law? How do you read it? And in response to that question, the man comes out with an answer. And it's a brilliant answer. And in fact, according to Jesus, it's the correct answer. It's a 30-word answer. And if you're here tonight and you're kind of looking for, and I've I've said this before here in this church, and for those who were at the I Welcome training session on Tuesday when I was with you, I said it then. But if you're looking for a summary of the whole Bible, if you're trying to condense 66 books, which, which kind of go to make this up, if you want to summarize 1,189 chapters, 33,000 plus words, If you want to summarize it up in 30, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. 
and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the Bible in a nutshell. There is how to discover eternal life. Because whenever the expert says to Jesus these 30 words, Jesus turns around to him and says this, do this and you will live. You've answered right. So, you know, sometimes we, we complicate the Christian faith unnecessarily. Love God, love others. Do this, says Jesus, and you'll live. But let's be honest, which is more difficult to do? Or rather, which is more demanding? Loving God or loving people? Well, for most people, the way they respond is, do you know, loving others is harder than loving God. At one level, it depends on who the other people are, isn't it? I mean, loving your family, loving your friends, well, well that's, that's one thing. But loving the unlovable, loving the stranger, loving the person who winds you up, the person who does your head in, Northern Ireland term. That's an altogether different issue and challenge. It's so much easier... For many people, or they would say this, it's so much easier to love God than to love those sorts of people. And yet, according to God's word, we must love those sorts of people. We must love God with our entire beings, heart, soul, strength, and mind. Every fiber of our being has got to be an expression of love to God. But we must also love others. You can't separate the two. You cannot be someone who says, well, I love God and then treat other people however you like the expert in the law grasped the first part of these 30 words he got the loving God dimension he was happy with that comfortable with that it resonated it made sense to him but it was the second part he struggled with this idea of of loving my my neighbor well that's more challenging it's slightly unclear and so in this story Luke chapter 10 the expert comes back at Jesus and he asks another question okay Jesus hear what you're saying but who is my neighbor who is my neighbor and in response Jesus tells a story the parable of the good Samaritan so We're going to read it together, if that's okay. And one of the things we normally do here at Windsor as a church is whenever God's word is read, we stand. So is that okay if we do that this evening? So can I invite you to stand for the public reading of God's word? So Luke chapter 10, and we're going to start at verse 30, where Jesus starts to tell the story. So in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, or he had compassion on him. 
And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Grab a seat. So Jesus tells that story. And as the implication of it filters through the minds and the ears of those who were listening, he asks this question. He says, you've heard the story. Which of the three do you think was a neighbor? It's an obvious answer, despite how uncomfortable and awkward the implications. Because the expert says this. It's the one who had mercy on him. Jesus looks the man in the eye and he says four words. Go and do likewise. Go and have mercy on people. The beaten up, the messed up, the stranger, the people who are different from you, your so-called enemies, the vulnerable, the weak, the outsider, the outcast, those who are on the fringes of society. Go and do likewise. Show mercy. If you want to find life, if you want a totally different, richer quality of life, then love God with every fiber of your being and love your neighbor as yourself. But as we reflect on on this story in just for a few more minutes, I want to draw attention to to three journeys that I want to suggest this story takes us on. And this is simply a reminder for those who were here about two and a half, three years ago. Because I kind of teased these journeys out then. But this story, I believe, forces us to go on three journeys. And here they are. A journey from right answers and right beliefs to right practice. A journey from non-involvement to compassion. And a journey from just a religion to a way of life. I'm just going to spend a couple of minutes in each of these. See, the expert in the law was encouraged by Jesus to journey from right answers and right beliefs to right practice. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, that is the right answer. You've given me the right answer. That's what many of us believe all humanity should be about. But the challenge is to go from knowing it, believing it, to actually doing it. Because that's what Jesus said. Go and do likewise. I suppose it's this journey from orthodoxy to orthopraxy. Orthodoxy means right belief. Orthopraxy means right practice. You see, as Christians, we believe, and as a church, we believe so many good things based on God's word, so many right things. We've got to love our enemies. We believe that. 
We've got to have mercy on those we come into contact with. We believe that. We've got to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We believe that. The challenge is, what are we doing to show that, to prove that? Is it all just up here? Is it all just what we know? Or are we actually fleshing this out? You see, the expert believed that the true neighbor of the victim in the story was the one who had mercy on him. But Jesus didn't just say, yes, you've got the right answer. Jesus said, no, go and do. You see, Jesus doesn't want there to be this glaring gap between what we believe and how we behave. And if you were there on Tuesday when I was talking about this with with some of the volunteers, I often define discipleship as bridging the gap between belief and behavior. That as Christians, we claim to believe so many amazing things, and we have the privilege of believing so many amazing things. But there cannot be a glaring gap between what we believe and how we behave. There's got to be consistency. There's got to be connection. There cannot be contradictions. I cannot say, I love God with my heart, soul, strength, and mind, and then go out and treat another human being whatever way I want. From right answers, which are important, but we've got a journey from there to right practice. Second journey, from non-involvement to active compassion. You see, essentially, this story is about people not wanting to be involved with others in need. The priest and the Levite in that story, well, they they just weren't up for the challenge. They, They just weren't. They didn't want to engage with someone in need. But it's really easy when you hear this story to be hard on the priest and the Levite. But let, let's be careful about that. Because there were good reasons for doing nothing. There were good reasons for walking on past the guy. For one, this body on the road might have been planted by bandits. It could have been put there to lure others to stop so that they could become an easy target. And so the priest and the Levite might have ended up suffering as a result of getting involved. Secondly, we also know that that if this guy lying at the side of the road was in fact dead, then within that culture, contact with a corpse would have meant that it would have defiled the priest and the Levite from performing their duties in the temple, according to the law. So if he was dead, it would have been wrong for them to go anywhere near this corpse. So they had two good reasons to keep walking. And let me be really honest. I can often and normally think of lots of good reasons for not getting involved in other people's lives. I'm too busy. It's inconvenient. I don't have time. It might not be safe. It's someone else's problem. And anyway, I've got enough of my own. Non-involvement and the choice to just keep walking 
is an attractive choice because it's safe and it's nice. It's by far the much more comfortable alternative. But the question that this throws up is, is walking by, is non-involvement ever actually the option for a follower of Jesus Christ? Does Jesus, and does Jesus expect all Christians to be good Samaritans or not? Someone put it like this, you cannot be a Christian and not be involved with people in the Jericho Road. Is that too straw? The Jericho Road where this guy was beaten up and left for dead was notoriously dangerous. It was steep, it was treacherous, it was known as the way of blood. And the priest and the Levite might even have thought, you know something, this guy shouldn't have been walking on his own. He got what was coming to him. He should have taken a safer route home. He made bad choices and now he's suffering as a result of the consequences. And again, and I'm speaking into my own heart and life, do I ever think like that? I see someone in need and I justify my non-involvement because I reckon it's partly their fault that they're in this mess. They have made bad choices. They have made poor choices. They have made sinful choices and so they're going to have to live with the consequences. You've made your bed, so lie in it. And then I come across the teaching of Jesus. And it brings me up short. See, we don't just help others because they deserve it. We help others because we love them. There is no worthiness test for Christian love. I can't just walk past someone and say, this person doesn't deserve my love. And the reason I say that is because as I look at Jesus, who's got to be our ultimate example, I discover someone who loved me without cause. He saved me Because of his love and mercy and for no other reason. Did I mess up? Yes. Have I made poor choices? Yes. Do I deserve God's judgment? Yes. Do I deserve to be rescued from life without hope? From eternity without God? No, I don't. But you know something? I have discovered that rescue anyway. Jesus meets our greatest need, which is for forgiveness. Not because any single person sitting in this church tonight deserves the forgiveness of Jesus. None of us do. We are forgiven because of God's love for us. Expressed in Jesus who was willing to lay down his life. None of us. I I didn't deserve that. I think it's interesting to note that we're told virtually nothing about the unfortunate guy in this story. We, We don't know his name. We don't know his occupation. We don't know if he was rich or if he was poor. We know nothing. Which points to an important principle. Love doesn't depend on any characteristic of the one being saved except their need. Love doesn't depend on any characteristic of the one being saved except their need. We all need to be rescued. None of us deserve it but we can be rescued because of Jesus. In the story it says that when the Samaritan saw him, he had compassion on him. 
Compassion means not just feeling sorry for someone. I feel sorry for lots of people. Compassion drives someone to sacrificial action. That's, that's compassion. It's love in action. This Samaritan didn't just feel sorry for the guy that was beat up. He did something. He went to him. He bandaged him. He poured oil and wine in his wounds. He put him on a donkey. He brought him to an inn. He took care of him. He paid for his well-being. Final journey. From just a religion to a way of life. Christianity cannot be mere ritual. It's a relationship. It's a lifestyle. It's that eight-inch journey from head to heart. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's got to be head and heart. It's got to affect the way we live. That was the model Jesus gave us, left us, demonstrated for us. We cannot say Christianity is just a religion. It affects every aspect of our beings and pushes us out onto the Jericho roads that we walk every day to show mercy on others. Three journeys, and that's me done. But to need to make three journeys, you need three things. You need open eyes, open hearts, and open hands. The first two guys in the story had open eyes. It's only the third one who went beyond the seeing. I see lots of need around me. I'm not blind to it. I don't have blinkers on all the time. All three of these guys saw need. Only one of them went beyond seeing and actually opened his heart and opened his hands. And so Jesus says to the expert in the law, Go, have mercy on others. Go and do likewise. That is the challenge of following Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we have his teaching in your word. Thank you for the challenge of it. Thank you for how it does stretch us at times. It unsettles us. It disrupts us. But thank you, God, that you have given it to us in order that we can discover what it means to live life in all its fullness. And so for many of us, like that expert in the law, we come and we say, God, what do we do to find this life? And we hear those words. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Show mercy. Go and do likewise. And so as each person here who follows Jesus leaves this building tonight, goes back onto their Jericho roads, I pray that you would help us to not only have open eyes, but to have open hearts. 
and open hands. In Jesus' name. Amen.